When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, this is Uriah Young here with Christopher Klein on the Sixer Sense Podcast. Here we talk Sixers, all Sixers, and nothing but the Sixers. Unfortunately, tonight Lucas cannot be here. He's a little under the weather, so I got to hold down the fort for my man. But tonight... We have a special guest. If you listen to 97.5 The Fanatic on the weekends in particular, when you hear his voice, you will know him immediately. He knows his stuff. He knows his Phillies, his Flyers, his Sixers, his Eagles. I want to welcome Hunter Brody, a.k.a. Broads, to the Sixers Sense. What's up, man? What's going on, fellas? Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot to talk about right now. <laughs> oh, who are you telling, man? <laughs> How you doing, Chris? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm I'm excited to talk Sixers. Well, let's get right to it, man. Yeah. So we're going to start, unfortunately, with the Celtics game, which is probably the worst game I've ever sat through since I started covering this team. 135 to 87 was the final score in favor of Boston. They hit a, I believe, a team record 25 threes in that game. Um, for Philly, it was pretty much Joel Embiid at the free throw line or nothing. Um, he finished with 19 points, nine rebounds, and six assists in 26 minutes. That puts an end to his 25-point game streak. Um, to you first, Broads, what stood out from you in this game? What What did you take away from it? Yeah, see, it's one of those games where, and I hate to do this because it's against the Celtics and you hate to see that logo and there was so much energy in the building. But if this same outcome happened against the Charlotte Hornets, do we feel as bad? No, it's just one of 82. There's a reason why the Sixers or any NBA team don't consistently lose by 48 points. Just unfortunately, one of those nights where I'm watching the offense struggle. You alluded to them only being able to score from Joel Embiid at the charity stripe. Matisse Thibel starts off the game the first quarter he shot about three threes he finished 0 for 6 from three one sequence I'm watching Niang brick one Danny Green's missing I mean the whole thing Shake <laughs> Milton misses the three Furcon's missing threes it's just one of those nights and then on the other side Jalen Brown's cooking and firing on all cylinders just one of those nights and it's just extremely disappointing that night happens when you're playing such a team that you despise I almost wondered if there was something in their mind that just thought, eh, we beat them the last time and we can beat this team. They're not good. And thinking that they're the Celtics of maybe a couple months ago, instead of recognizing that they're a different team right now and playing really strong. Did they overlook their opponent at all? I just wonder if that really went into their mindset. Yeah, it it looks like on paper or on the box score, they had horrible shooting. You had a hot Boston team who's on a nice lengthy winning streak. At the end of the day, you got to figure they're on an emotional high, and I'm talking about the entire Sixers team. They just had the press conference with Harden in the afternoon. They got rid of a toxic situation with Simmons being traded to Brooklyn, and there was like a collective contentment, I think, for the whole team. And for whatever reason, they just didn't get up for this game. And it just it is so sad to see this on a national uh, level because it was a TNT game. Uh, but But they'll rebound. I think at the end of the day – these games do matter. I don't care what anybody says because we don't want to be the fourth or fifth seed going into the playoffs. Uh, and plus, Boston's getting hot. So, I mean, you can chalk it up to, to some of those factors. 
I am one of those people that say it, it, the NBA regular season is what it is to a degree. Now, statistically speaking, you are correct when you say that there is a lot of value, and the numbers will tell you that, in first, second, third seed and being in that category compared to anything lower than that. But when you lose by 48, it's like, I mean, come on, you lose by 48. It's such an outlier. And this team's been playing well all year long, even though they made such a major change to their identity, where I don't cry too much. If I look at the big picture and realize where they're at based off their circumstances, they're clearly in such a good position still. So, I mean, I I hate to play the other side, but there is a bit of me that doesn't overvalue the regular season too much, but there is validity to what you're saying. I'm not going to downplay that. Yeah, I'm with you, Broads. I'm not really losing too much sleep over it. Um, obviously, with how the East is stacking up this year, there are like eight teams within a few games of each other. So the standings, tiebreakers and stuff like that, it's, it's going to matter down the road. But, you know, Boston is red hot. It, it happens not normally to this degree. Like this is really like an all-timer blowout. But I, like you said, Uriah, something of an emotional high with the James Harden stuff. I, I kind of get it. I'm not worried about it too much. Um, but in your opinion, Broads, is Boston a contender or a pretender at this point? I like that you brought that up because I was talking about this earlier today on some shows that I was doing. And I had a caller from Chicago call in, and he loved – watching the Sixers play. He's excited to watch Joel Embiid with James Harden. And that's what Joel Embiid at an MVP level, best player on the planet, may I add, does. It brings people from other cities into talking Philadelphia sports. It's pretty cool. But I asked him about the Bulls specifically and how he felt because I was curious. And, you know, he's excited but scared. And I'm like, well, when you look at the standings right now, the Heat, the Bulls, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Celtics, the Cavs, even though I'm not a believer in the Cavs because I think you got to have veteran real veteran players to accomplish the goal, and they're just so young and raw right now. Not to say that Garland can never be that guy, but just with where they're at right now with age, just the history of the NBA, young bucks really don't just destroy and annihilate in postseason play to the point of carrying you to the ultimate goal. But anyway, take out the Cavs if you like. The Heat, the Bucks, the Bulls, the Sixers, the Celtics, they're all in that same tier. There's really no Golden State Warriors of the of the past that would run away with the West or a LeBron James in the East that you can't get by. So with that being said, I think almost everyone is in contention here. It just comes down to who gets hot at the right time when we're talking about spring and playoff hoops. Do you guys agree with that? I would agree, bros, in that like the tiers you were talking about, you mentioned Milwaukee and obviously Miami. I mean, at this point of the season, it's like you said, whoever gets hot at the right time, hopefully it's going to be the Sixers when Harden joins the lineup. But in terms of Boston, look, these guys have been playing together for quite some time. And I'm talking about Smart, Tatum and Brown. I think Boston is very fortunate that they were they made the right move and they kept Brown. I think this one two punch tandem is pretty lethal. Al yeah. Horford, I know we we throw darts at him. He's a former Sixer. He's like the Embiid killer. I still think he's a smart player. I think he's a little long in the tooth. I think the Derek White pickup and the Tice uh, uh, move helps them in certain aspects of their bench. And I do think that if they stay hot, they can steal that fourth spot in the East. Yeah, I, I'm on the same page as you guys. I mean, really one through eight. Like Brooklyn is the Vegas favorite still, I think, to win the East. They're the eighth seed right now. Yeah, um, Obviously, are. they have a long way to go, but Toronto at seven is red hot. They're really eight really solid teams in the East right now. So I, I think Boston is legitimate. You know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, those are bona fide all-stars, two really good players. Um, Shot-creating wings are probably the most valuable archetype you can have in a star right now. They have two of them. They have a pretty well-rounded group, as you said, Uriah. So I I think Boston is legitimate. I don't know if I'm putting them on, like, the top, top tier of contenders in the East right now, but I I certainly think they have a chance to make a run. Um, I I think Philly, you know, Al Horford for – you know, Joel went to the line 16 times, so he still got what he wanted at times last night, but – Horford defended him really well, and that's something he yeah. still has the capacity to, to do, it seems. Boston's defense has been on a tear since 
since really January. So yeah, that's massive. Um, and and the tr- the amount of and things will change when Harden comes in, but the amount of triple teams they sent his way, and he wasn't able to get into rhythm. So instead, you're relying on some of these role players to take some shots, and they just weren't able to knock down and cash in. So, but when jo- when James Harden's out there, can you send three guys to go swarm Joel down by the block? No, because then James Harden's available, and if you're gonna play one on one, well then good luck, you're gonna lose. And then if you want to double James Harden, then Joel Embiid is going to have an opportunity. So I'm very fascinated. And I know that's easy to say just from a distance on paper. Obviously, things can become different when you actually play the basketball games. But just in theory, it's going to change a lot on what these teams can do in terms of that intensity. But you are right. The Boston Celtics defense is is legit, and they can definitely make it a living hell for you. All right, now that we wrapped up that horrible, crappy game, <laughs> we had to bring it up. Let's talk about what everyone else in the country, and I'm not I'm not exaggerating, okay? This is a national story. James Harden traded for Ben Simmons and some other players involved, but it's all about uh, Simmons and Harden. There was a press conference both in Brooklyn and in Philadelphia yesterday. Uh, James was welcome to the city of Philadelphia. Simmons was up in Brooklyn being welcome. Both players said pretty much what you expected them to say. They didn't really deviate from the political correctness lane, and they didn't necessarily bash their previous team or call out names, but they made it known that they were happy to be in their current situation. So, Broads, let's go to you. What, what stood out to you from the press conference with James Harden? I thought James Harden basically gave you a chalk, right? I mean, he's excited to be here. The relationship with him and Daryl Morey we all knew about. There has been a little bit added to the Doc Rivers side of things. He's always kind of been looking to team up with the Doc Rivers and excited about what he brings to the table, even though us Sixers fans are going to be annoyed with his rotations. And we don't like the fact that he goes to Tobias and an all-bench lineup or goes to an all-bench lineup in general. But the NBA world respects him so much. And there's that whole entire concept of him wanting to be teamed up with Doc Rivers, which I think is fascinating as well, considering this whole debacle of we thought he signed for next year and then apparently he didn't. And now there's reports from Zach Lowe that possibly that means a Tobias Harris move is happening down the road. It's going to get weird and crazy. And I'm kind of looking forward to how exciting everything's going to be down the road for sure. But my mind is clearly on this season. And let's finish this off before we get into any discussions like that. And with, with James Harden, it wasn't anything wild. I, I thought it was just basic as basic could be. More came out in this city with what was stated by Ben. And my opinion on that is anyone who's upset that we are taking the time to discuss what Ben is saying, if you're mad that we're still talking about him, this is still a major part of what just happened. You're not supposed to just say he's out of town, out of sight, out of mind. Forget about it. And I don't know how you guys feel, but – It's uncomfortable to talk about, and I won't go down this path unless you guys really want to, but if you look at the entire context and the body of work that he went through before claiming that there was an issue mentally, the story just doesn't add up to me, and I get passionate about it because it's such a serious topic where we hear Brandon Brooks and we hear Lane Johnson, and we're very supportive of taking the steps in the right direction as society, and then when you hear a story that just doesn't add up and it only starts to become publicized, when he starts getting hit with fines and money. It just doesn't sit right with me. And it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. And and I think that's why it's targeted by Rich Paul, Clutch Sports, and Ben. But to act as if we can't discuss it because he's out of town, he just held this organization hostage for months and months and months and took shots at all the fans, all the players, the coach, and everything. This is still a major story to focus on. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. But, you uh, you know, you that's that's my thoughts on it. You could take it where you want from there. Yeah, I, I think all that's pretty fair. Um, I mean, going back to Harden, obviously, like you said, it was kind of a chalk interview, nothing really unexpected. I thought the stuff about Philly being his number one choice from the very beginning was uh, was interesting because um, that's just not what he said when he got to Brooklyn last season, which is obvious, but also the reporting from Woj and guys like that was that like he wanted to get to Brooklyn. So I'm not entirely sure he's telling the truth there, but Clearly, he's happy with Daryl Morey and all the guys in Sixers ownership. He has relationships with Michael Rubin, etc. So I, I think he's obviously pretty happy here. Um, seems like Joel's really happy. Just from the practice clips we got, we saw him try to break out the hardened step back um, last night. <laughs> I, don't think I, don't think that, I don't think that went very well. That's very forgettable. 
Very forgettable. <laughs> Did not go well, but I, I think, you know, the energy is, is pretty good right now. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, I get where you're coming from with all the Ben Simmons stuff. I, I think we're going to talk about that. Um, oh, yeah. There's so much compacted into both the trans uh, transitions between these players to their new their new cities. But in terms from why my feeling of the actual press conference with James Harden, you guys pretty much said what I was going to say. But I will add that it was interesting that he said Philly fans are the best fans in the league. He's been here for what forty eight hours. I found that interesting. I just like that he said that he he feels like it's his job to be a leader on this team, get guys like swagger. I mean. Look at what he was wearing last night at the game. But anyway, uh, he wanted to be in Philly in the first place. I think that is a key to take away from what he was saying. But let's move on to the next aspect of James Harden, which is being on the court. We know that he's an all-time player, most prolific scorer in NBA history from the guard position, I I would distinct. Broads, how do you think his presence is going to impact the Sixers on the court when he finally plays? Okay, so this is the example I use, but I don't want it to be exactly the same exact way because it is different. But just from a broad sense, it makes sense to me, which is think about what Chris Paul means to the Suns. And he's not the same point guard as Chris Paul. Chris Paul is a little bit more traditional point guard, floor general. He was born to be one of the best point guards we've ever seen in basketball. But just from a sense of there's a calming presence with a ball handler at a legit elite pace on your roster now where we had to run Furkan Korkmaz as your secondary ball handler. And I like Tyrese Maxey a lot, but he's not a true, true, true point guard and I think one day he can blossom into something special in this league and he's only going to get better the jumps that he has made from the three-point line is ridiculous from the getting fouled perspective is ridiculous and there's a lot that he's added into his repertoire at such a small time frame that makes it mind-blowing that he will eventually get there no doubt but with where he's at right now in his career it's not there yet so with that said Chris Paul means so much to the Phoenix Suns where we saw this recently when they played the Sixers fourth quarter settling down the offense running sets Ben Simmons is good in the open floor and he was a good facilitator in that in that open floor concept. James Harden averages 10 assists per game. And by the way, he could do it in half court sets and actually establish a team's identity when you need to most in the fourth quarter down the stretch. He's not just isolation dribble a bunch of times and step back, even though that's in his repertoire. He does so many other things. And he mentioned Tobias Harris being a 20 point guy. He can get Tobias 20 points by operating the way that he does and and getting guys open and finding shots for his teammates too. So I like to use Chris Paul as the example, even though it's different because it's a different style. It's more about just what a veteran player and a legit ball handler can do to settling down an offense and legitimately operating as a unit that I think he brings a lot to the table from that perspective. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, when he's healthy, which admittedly hasn't been the case this season, but when he's healthy and 100%, James Harden is a top 10 player. Not long ago, he was like pretty inarguably a top five player. Like this is one of the great, great offensive players of a generation. So he's, he's going to have a huge impact on the court. Um, I mean, pretty much the biggest weakness of the Embiid era in Philly has been scoring from the perimeter. Guys who can hit off the dribble, run pick and rolls, do stuff like that. Harden is as good as anyone we've ever seen at doing that stuff. Um, you know, entry passes to Embiid have been like an Achilles heel. Um, Harden can make those passes and he can do them at a really high level. So from the simple basic point guard stuff, like you said, Broads, to a guy who can go out and score 40, 50 a night if he really needs to, he's going to help a lot. And he's going to take a weight off of the bead shoulders, which I think is pretty important just thinking long term down the road, preserving guys for the playoffs. They can help shoulder that like lead scoring burden, which isn't something that Embiid has had very often in his career. Um, so I think that's going to be really important. Um you know, he needs to get back to 100%. He's had some pretty rough stretches this season, but I am optimistic that he's going to be in a better place mentally, you know, more engaged in Philly than he probably was in Brooklyn. I'm pretty optimistic that he'll get back to at least somewhat close to what we expect out of James Harden. So, 
Imagine um, you're down, though, on a guy. And it makes sense because at one point he averaged 30-plus and all this. But 22-10-8 is nothing to just laugh at or to shoot down upon. And I'm not saying you're not, but there are people out there who don't like the trade or they think that he's washed. And, you know, there's multiple layers to this. Chris Paul has been injured. Kevin Durant has been injured. Anthony Davis has been injured. LeBron James has been injured. Maybe it's just this is sports and people get injured. And I find it ironic or I guess more hypocritical that the people who are bashing James Harden for being hurt and saying he'll never be good again because he's injured, somehow, some way, Kevin Durant's going to come back day one and be an elite player and then not miss a beat. So one guy's injured, and he'll return and be magnificent and unbelievable as soon as he hits the floor again for the Brooklyn Nets to go win a championship with ease. But James Harden, who's injured, is going to come here and just struggle and be an awful player. I mean, you can't have it both ways. I'm not telling you it's it's going to be perfect and a 1,000% smooth, but I don't know how a mindset could be, well, James James Harden's definitely going to suck, but Kevin Durant, he's just going to be perfect while utilizing that logic. The logic's flawed. Yeah. Well, the, one thing, the one thing that stands out that you said that I haven't heard yet, but I do like, it's not the perfect comparison, but bringing up Chris Paul, here you have a veteran point guard, one of the top point guards of all time, aged, like almost pushing 37, but as you can see in, in Phoenix, he made an immediate difference. The first season, he took him to the finals, right? You also look at Kawhi Leonard. In one season, he won a championship with the Toronto Raptors, so maybe Harden can do that for the Sixers. He only has 24, 25 games to do it, but the one thing I will say, like, what have the Sixers fans and organization been been saying for the past four years? Is Joel needs space. And how do you get space? You get a shooter. You get a score. And now we have it. Who's going to benefit from this? You look at Danny Green. You look at George's Niang, spot of shooters. I think Harden's going to really – I mean, I'm not going to say he's going to get more than 10 assists per game, but I could see him maintaining that level of productivity as a distributor. Uh, from the free throw line, guys – I mean, they're going to feast. Embiid and Harden, can you imagine? how Games are going to go to like 10 p.m. every night because these guys are going to like create so many different foul opportunities. And I just know, and I'm, at least I hope, that they will mesh together on the court. The inside-outside game will be, I would think, unstoppable. But but we'll see. Let's uh, yeah. finish up. Let's finish up. I'm sorry, Chris, you want to say something? No, I was just going to say, like, from Philly's perspective, uh, a lot of people are, like, comparing the values outright between the two teams. Ben Simmons wasn't playing for this team, so you're essentially replacing Seth Curry's spot in the rotation with James Harden. And there's obvious downside risk. If he signs a long-term contract, etc., does he get healthy? But you got to take a crack now. Joel's in his prime. James, we know, even this season and what has been, by all accounts, a pretty bad season for him. Like you said, Rhodes, he's like a top 15, 20 player in the league still. So um, you, you got to take that swing anytime it's available. I'm, I'm really not into the um, some of the narratives that are going around in that respect. Because you're replacing Seth Curry in a backup center with James Harden. Is essentially know, what the Sixers are doing. I, I, I love that you said that, too, because there's a lot of people that think Seth Curry, I actually had a caller the other day that said, Seth Curry, uh, losing him is just way too much. And I'm going, well, let me get this straight. James Harden's a better scorer. He's a better passer. He's a better rebounder. And Seth Curry, I like him a lot. I think he's a good player. But he is horrendous defensively to the point where I'm not telling you Harden's a good defender. I'm telling you that Harden's a better defender than Seth. So in every single area, let me be clear here, in every Every single area of the game of basketball, James Harden is better than Seth Curry. So you move on from a guy who will be a UFA in Andre Drummond, someone who is unavailable for you in Ben Simmons, and you upgrade Seth Curry in every area of the sport of basketball. How does that upset you as a Sixers fan? I don't get it. Well, Broads, I will say this much. We know Harden brings a lot of positive attributes in terms of his skill in being an all-NBA player, but we cannot move on to the Ben Simmons uh, press conference until we kind of unravel the bad stuff. So tell us your honest opinion. I know you're going to give it to us. Do we feel that his off-court partying could be a problem, or do you think he's going to turn over a new leaf? No, I don't think it's a problem because there's a difference between people who don't give a damn and all they want to do is party. But James Harden is partying 
or he's balling. He's hooping. When the season's over, he's hooping in New York City. He's going here. He's going there. Drew League, this and that. It's all ball. So it's not like he's less dedicated to winning a title or unwilling to. So he goes to the cheerleaders. So he goes to Delilah's afterward. Whatever. It's not like he's not committed to the sport of basketball. So I personally don't have an issue with it because I don't think that takes away from James Harden, the player on the court. He's got too much dedication to the craft, even though he likes to have a good time. There's nothing wrong with having a good time, the combination of that and balling. I think I would care more or think about it more if it took away from who he was playing basketball, but that's just not the case. He's someone who it's still all about hoops and he likes to have some fun off to the side, but I don't think that's the difference in them accomplishing their goal or not because he cares too much about hoops still for that to be the case. So if you can find the perfect mix, then fine, so be it. And I think James Harden is one of those people who have a good mix on it. Yeah, I mean, this is the guy who won multiple MVPs. He was still partying back then, you know, from all all accounts. So, um, yeah, I don't have an issue with it. I, I think it maybe rubbed some people in Brooklyn the wrong way, how he kind of just, like, went off the grid for the last couple of weeks there. But I, that's a different thing. I don't suspect that he'll have the same apathy in Philly, given the circumstances. So, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. I think the funniest meme that we've seen since Harden was even brought up in rumors coming to Philly is there's one Broads where he's leaning over and in the background you see the Delilahs. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen that one yet? Yeah, I did. Oh, see that's the that is wh- whoever did whoever did that is should should get an award. But anyway, so I I agree with both of you. I think he is committed to his craft. Hey, look, you play hard, uh, you work hard, you play hard, right? So I think he deserves that aspect to his personal life. And as you know, as long as he's showing up and he's producing on the court as a Sixers fan, I think that's all we could ask for. And then as far as uh, coming in and being a good leader and, and merging with Joel, I, I think that's going to be critical. And I think he sees this window as like everybody's windows closing, his and Embiid's. And if they're not going to do it this year, Man, I don't know when they'll do it. I mean, maybe next year, but... Daryl Morey doesn't have the opportunity right now. It's right to make the trade. Let's make that very clear. Making the trade is significantly important to the run of this franchise, but I think we have a three... I think three-ish is a good number to put on what we have here for Joel and B. James Harden thing, and I just feel where I'm at is... Yes, they have a serious chance to make some noise this year. But when you give up what you gave up, there's still holes on this roster. And I don't think Daryl Morey has the ability to fix all of those holes with just the buyout market. So my point is, you got a good chance here to go as far as you possibly can because you have two superstars on your team. But this isn't a 20-game backstretch of a season, and that's it. It's do or die with this backstretch, and it's either they get it done or they don't. There's still some time here for Daryl Morey to put his finger fingerprints in the offseason and to maybe get creative with Tobias Harris's money or whatever he elects to do. But this isn't just a Kawhi Leonard Toronto Raptors type of move where afterwards it's gone and you don't get another chance. There's I, I like the number three-ish type of years on what we're about to have in this city between these two guys. That's the way I read it. Yeah, I concur 100%. Let's move on to the Ben Simmons press conference. This is the one that if you're a Sixers fan, you're probably rolling your eyes. There was an incredulous, like, I don't know, burning sensation inside of your entire sports fandom being essence. So, Rhodes, just give us your take. What, what did you just unload, man? Like, what do you think of Simmons in his press conference? I'm very bothered. It's hard for me to hate people. I might not like you as a basketball player or you as a hockey player, and that's fine. I learned in this business that you don't take this stuff personal. It's just sports at the end of the day. It's just a game. We can get passionate about it because we care, but it, it doesn't affect your life to the full, unless we're talking about like winning a championship and a Super Bowl. But, you know, in terms of sports hatred, I mean, it's nothing personal. It's just the game, and it brings out the rivalry, and it's all good and dandy. But then there's stuff like this that Ben Simmons is doing, and personally I'm just not buying anything that he's selling his story doesn't make sense whatsoever and it's problematic to us as society with with the real world this does impact the real world and this becomes more than sports because he is using something in his contract that isn't real to get paid and his story the timeline where he demands a trade then he pretends there's a back injury nothing ends up being actually 
confirmed. And then he ends up showing up and then he gets kicked out of practice. He's showing no effort. And then once he starts getting fined so heavily, he pulls the mental health card. And then, look, if you say there's a mental health problem, that's fine. But then let's just, you don't have to go into detail. But when the Sixers say, we need some information on everything that's going on, you don't need to go fully into it. But there's got to be documentation and doctors signing off. And there's a correlation with him not being able to provide that and where we are right now. And, and then he stands up in front of all these media members in New York. It makes a claim that it's not about the fans. It's not about the coaches. It's not about the Philadelphia atmosphere. That's not what it's about. Yet Rich Paul and Clutch Sports for the last five, six months, your team, your agency, everyone supporting you publicly admitted through Ramona Shelburne and through everybody else in the media that you didn't like Doc. You didn't like Joel Embiid's answers. You got thrown under the bus. So you, you said this for five or six months. And then now all of a sudden, that's not what it is. Yet the only thing that changed from now and where you were before was the fact that you changed said coaches and you changed said teammates and you changed said city. There's a difference between a real mental health issue and then not wanting to play for Philadelphia. Those are two totally different extremes. He does not have a mental health issue. He has a I don't want to play in Philadelphia issue. And the fact that you combine those to the same things, we, we look at Brandon Brooks, we look at Lane Johnson, we look at everybody who went through something in this city and they openly admitted that something's not right and I got to get better and I got to do what's best. Lane Johnson's one of the best right tackles in football. He leaves this team for X amount of time and all we do is praise him and say, we want the best for you. If he just approached it where I have a platform, I know other people are going through similar things than I am. I was I made, I was in a dark spot when I, when I was in game seven, right? I'm putting myself in Ben Simmons' shoes. If he said, I was in a dark spot in game seven and I failed and I feel awful about it, but I'm in a really bad spot. I got to get healthy mentally. There's not one person in this city that wouldn't support that and would want the best for him. But the timeline, it doesn't make sense. And it pisses me off because it does everyone (laughs) who's going through it a disservice. That's my point on it. And it bothers me. It really does. Chris. So go ahead. The floor is yours. No, Chris. No, because Chris, he's all right. I'm not going to say anything, Chris. You, you stand up uh, for yourself, buddy. Yeah, no, I mean, fine. You, that's fine. Yeah, I, I understand that this is a very emotional subject to talk about. It's not easy to talk about or question. So I'm open to any sort of dialogue. Yeah, I, I mean, my general stance has been, you know, sort of like the baseline. We can't really honestly speculate about what's going on. I, I, I understand that Ben Simmons clearly like has a certain arrogance about him and maybe an overinflated view of self in context. Like clearly Ben Simmons personality was problematic in like how the situation unfolded. He brought a lot of this on himself. I, I really agree with that, but I mean, we do know that he's been seeing a therapist since like before all this was being talked about. Uh, we he did eventually like have his therapist share notes, I guess with the Sixers therapist. Did, so I, I think all of that, did that happen? Is that confirmed? I believe it has been. From my knowledge, he was unwilling or unable to actually show any documentation of what was happening with. Look, and, and I just want to say that you're not. I get it. It's very sensitive, and I think that's why they're playing this card. But this is what one thing I always like to throw at people, and it's if Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers were to go through this path that they're doing. I would say they're not bad people. Doc Rivers is not a bad person. They're they're not evil people. So I guess I would say they wouldn't go down this path if they didn't sense something didn't add up either. And I'm not telling you I take their word for Bible or anything like that, but it's hard for me to imagine Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey hating Ben Simmons so much, knowing that he's going through something serious and then electing to go down this path of finding him where something just isn't adding up here. They're they're good people. Like, they're good-hearted people. No one would put someone through that just to make a statement unless something was really going on. So two things. Number one, Chris, I'm proud of you for maintaining a consistent view because for the past, I guess, seven months, I mean, bros, Chris and I were on this podcast the night that the Sixers were eliminated in Atlanta and we were speechless. Like we were, <laughs> we, we got like, that was our like most downloaded episode, right. For obvious reasons. And since then, Chris has been very, I guess, sympathetic and just trying to 
trying to maintain some type of objectivity. But I, unfortunately, Broads, I'm I'm on your side because I'm I'm just a Philly fan at heart, and it just it just pissed me off the amount of hours that we've we've invested, the the money we spend on tickets, the the what we spend on paraphernalia, whatever. And all we did was support him the entire time. I was in the building, Broads, in Game Five, and he kept missing free throw after free throw. And every single fan in that stadium, eighteen thousand plus, were on their feet clapping for him, cheering for him. So for him to get up there in Brooklyn and start talking about, oh, it wasn't the fans, it wasn't the it wasn't the players, and then turn around and say, well, you know, but then I'm I'm, I'm in a better place because I'm I'm traded, and he demanded a trade, or at least Rich Paul did. It kind of reminds me of the movie. I don't know if you guys saw it, A Few Good Men, yeah. where Jessup is on the stand. And, you know, uh, Tom Cruise is coming at his neck and he's accused of ordering a code red. And then after all the hubbub and he's like, you know, arrogant, Tom Cruise hit him with the, well, if you didn't order the code red, why did Santiago have to be moved? So that Ben Simmons press conference reminded me of that because he totally just negated everything that he said. So. I think he has he's always had audacity coming out of college, making this documentary about basically playing amateur collegiate basketball is a waste of his time when he could have used that time to develop his game. And I'm I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm just not surprised at all. My response to that would be like the hardened thing about him wanting to be in Philly the, from the very beginning. Probably not true. Like that's yeah, opening player, game media pressure BS. I think the yeah. it's not the team. It's not the fans thing is also like just like PRBS kind of thing. You know, I don't believe that part at all. Um, but like, I, I think w- this is in the next section, but I think we should just probably wrap it in here. There have been a lot of people criticizing the fact that Ben is like with his teammates already in Brooklyn. I I think just for me, I, I'm not sure. Uh, like, I, I think clearly he left the situation that was stressful for him and he's in a different place now. I, I don't buy the argument that like, like, like how is he supposed to act? You know, it's kind of where I'm at. Like, should he just be st- like, do we want him to just not be talking to anyone still? Do we want him to be like missing like a wall for the rest of the season still? Like, how is he supposed to react now that he's changed teams? Like, do I, I we think not- that's a fair question. Right. Like, I don't want like, him just I don't know pouting if- on the bench and looking like a yeah. miserable person. I, I get that. This opens up the door though, for, Let's say they go through the the NBA Players Association and, you know, th- this is going to get murky, this whole money mm-hmm. financial thing. This mm-hmm. could be a – like not even basketball and, and not even just Ben Simmons, but this concept right here could be so influential to sports for the next decade and decade plus because this could technically – and. I personally feel this way, and Chris, you're obviously entitled to your own opinion, and that's fine, but, you know, this is someone who – Use this once he realized he was losing a lot of money to then find a way to get his money back. And there's no way to actually test it. So this opens up the door for a very big gray area for a lot of players down the road to utilize mental health as a way to continue to get money when they're unhappy. And it's a it's a scary thing to think about legally with verbal type of contracts and where this can go. It's just, it's fascinating from a legal standpoint on what this means for the bigger picture outside of just the Sixers and the Nets. Cause this is, it's, it's a very touchy subject. So it definitely makes me uncomfortable to talk about in terms of questioning people's mindset on it. But uh, I just got to keep it real with how I feel about it at the same time. So I respect your opinion though, Chris, I do want to make that clear. Yeah, no, the same to you. Like, it, it, there's certainly some gray area, and obviously, just from a sports perspective, it, it I get it. Like, this has clearly been a very stressful situation for all the fans involved, and and it can you know tensions rise with with stuff like this. So, um, yeah, I get it for sure. So, bros, the next question of, about the press conference, and actually moving on from Ben Simmons, I think every every fan in Philadelphia wants to turn the page. For you on the radio show, like this stuff can keep you going all day, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, let's let's look at Ben and being in Brooklyn. He has some new pieces to play with, and uh, probably a, a different style he's going to play up there. How do you predict he's going to fit with Brooklyn? And Broads, do you think Brooklyn still has a chance of winning a title this year? 
you're always going to have a chance when you have Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant almost willed them to victory last year and came up a little bit short with zero help. So when you have Kevin Durant, you're always in the mix. And that's why when you have Joel Embiid playing this way, you're going to be in the mix, especially when you add a James Harden. So, yes, they will be. But it is fascinating to think about, right? Because let's say it's LaMarcus Aldridge or it's Andre Drummond at the five, and who knows how they're exactly going to play it. But if you have Kyrie Irving for some of the games, depending on how that all plays out with the vaccination, Seth Curry at the two, KD at the three, Ben Simmons at the four as a stretch for Andre Drummond at the five, what do you have? You're basically playing three on five at that point. So what I consistently think about when I do analyze the Nets can Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the powerful weapons that they are with the addition of Seth Curry, who we do know has the ability to knock down shots, but he could also have a one for seven type of night as well. He can go on his cold streaks. Can that overpower the limitations of who Ben Simmons is? And, you know, what we're realizing here is I think what it's going to come down to, and I don't know if Ben Simmons has the mindset to be this because he doesn't see any issues with his game and he wants to be a superstar and he still looks at himself as a superstar. But if he's a role-playing defender and he's just a guy and KD and Kyrie's doing everything, can that be enough if he's just a defender? I don't know. I mean, Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant, so you're always in the mix. But I don't know how they're going to operate. He might get yanked off the floor again because teams are going to foul him in the fourth quarter. And I don't know how he's going to handle that because he seriously does view himself as better than Joel Embiid. And I've heard that from people who are super Mm. close to this team, that Ben Simmons does not think he's a problem. He looks at himself as a legit superstar, and he's mad at Daryl Morey for choosing Joel Embiid to be the number one face of this franchise over him. So if he still feels that way and thinks that somehow he's going to operate with the Brooklyn Nets as a stud, as a Kevin Durant type, well, then he's going to have a run for his money because it ain't going to work that way. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. I don't think the fit is quite as seamless and flawless as some people have made it out to be. I I agree, like, the center rotation is going to be interesting. I, I don't think him and Drummond are going to work together. Like, obviously, if it's Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Seth Curry, those are, like, three all-world shooters. You can probably make it work. But I think we're going to see a lot of Ben and KD as, like, small ball four and five. I think that's probably the route they're going to end up going. And Like, look, they do a lot of switching defensively. Ben's going to be in paradise on the defensive end on that team. He's going to be the focal mm-hmm. point. He's going to help a lot. And I, I do think, like feelings removed Ben at his peak with Philly was like a top 30 ish player he's still really good whether or not he views himself as a top 10 player and isn't that that could be a different problem but Ben is really impactful when he gets going and I I do think Brooklyn has a chance to win it all like thinking of the matchup with Philly (laughs) Ben Simmons is probably the best James Harden defender on the planet so yeah yeah. so like they certainly have the weaponry to win it all. I, I'm Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are two great players. Kevin Durant may be the best player on planet Earth when he gets going. So well, the one thing that you're right, uh, but I guess I would say, and this is just me coming as like a Ben Simmons hater at this point. But, I, <laughs> but like, if they were to win, and Kevin Durant and Kyrie are giving you 34 each, and KD's giving you 39, and he's making buckets, and Ben Simmons is just standing there doing nothing on every offensive possession, then Ben Simmons is quote winning a championship due to being a role player. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong. Brooke Lopez won a championship. Like, it's okay to be a role player on an NBA championship team, and you're valued. And there's definitely a big, important piece to that. But you ain't no, you better not be flexing around like you're the man here. Because guess what? If you didn't have KD or Kyrie in this hypothetical, you ain't winning a damn thing. So we better watch how how he acts if that ends up being the case. Because at that point, he's just a role guy, and he don't view himself as no role guy. I think the best version of Ben, and they're not the same players, but I think the best ideal version of Ben is kind of like DeAndre Ayton, where he's like an all-star level role player. Mm-hmm. And he does his specific things really well. I, I, I agree. They're, like He has to buy into that, and he didn't buy into that in Philly. And there are real questions as to whether he'll buy into that in Brooklyn, even with Kevin Durant and Kyrie, who I think for most people are definitively superior players to Ben Simmons. They are. So I agree that he has to buy in, and but... Like, I, I think, worst-case scenario, they still have three all-star level players. I think there are ways to figure it out. I, I Ben is definitely going to help. Like, he, he's not going to hurt the team, I don't think. I think he's going to flourish in Brooklyn. I think he's going to have the time of his life just because he gets to go out and run. He doesn't have to dump the ball down to someone in the post like he did with Joel for four years. 
However, once the playoffs start, you guys have seen it as much as I have. It's going to be four and five, and we will see how Kevin Durant responds to that. We'll see how Steve Nash prepares for that. And to be honest with you, I guess because I'm, I guess I'm petty, and I was in my clubhouse from earlier, and we were talking about like, do we wish Ben well? A lot of people are like, oh, I wish him well. I don't wish him, you know, he's not here anymore, and we can move on. Look, I don't wish him well. I don't wish him bad. But I don't wish him well, number one, because that's not good for the Sixers. And number two, I just feel like he just kind of shoved it in our face. Like, like I, I don't want to be there, and I'm better than Joel, when in all actuality, he's not. So I, I guess I'm petty. I, I don't wish him bad, but I don't wish him well. I don't I want him, him to flourish. Basket, I wish him basketball bad, but within being healthy. Like, I hope he – Yeah, yeah. Like I hope, yeah, zero points, two rebounds, and one assist. Like, <laughs> I hope he does bad as a healthy basketball player, and that's where I'm at. I don't want him to, you know, have anything bad actually happening to him, but a bad basketball – yeah, give me bad Ben Simmons basketball any day of the week. Hey, Broads, can you imagine – a series against the Sixers, Brooklyn comes to Philadelphia and Simmons has to play, let's say it goes to game seven. They have to play three games in Philly. How many times does he go to the foul line and how the fans is going to just kill him in terms of like booing? Can you imagine that? I don't even think he'll show his face, but honestly. If in a playoff that, series, I think he uh, has to. In, a, in the regular season, no. In the yeah. playoffs, he has to. He has I, don't, to. I don't think it's just a Sixers thing. He'll he'll be yanked off the floor due to not making free throw. Like that's going to be problematic, and Steve Nash is going to have to coach around that because it's almost inevitable. No, he's not going to drain his free throws. If anything, there's added pressure to what he did last year. That's not going anywhere. It's now doubled because of the way that he handled this. So if he thought it was pressure last year, you don't think it's going to be multiplied by at least two, if not even more. Yeah. All right, um, so let's talk a little bit about Doc Rivers' broads. Um, obviously, with James Harden here, the expectation is that Philadelphia will contend for a championship now. Um, last season's flameout is still very fresh in everyone's mind. Obviously, Ben Simmons shouldered a lot of that blame, but I think it's fair to say Doc coached a pretty poor series um, against Atlanta. So if Rivers doesn't coach Philly to a championship this year, especially if they – you know, lose in a particularly egregious fashion again. Do you think there's a chance that the Sixers move on from him in the summer? That's an interesting question. Knowing how much James Harden wants to play with Doc Rivers, I think that or play for Doc Rivers, I should say. I don't think Doc is out there making any sort of passes, although, hey, can't be worse than Furkan Korkmaz running the point. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I do think that maybe it's a conversation to have with Harden and, and with Joel Embiid and see how they feel about it. I have a, in, not an interesting take, but, you know, I, the NBA head coaching, he's a top 15 coach, right? Outside of Greg Popovich and Eric Spolstra, I think Steve Kerr is a good coach, but there's also a lot to be said about having the talent that was on his roster. Nick Nurse looks a lot different with Kawhi Leonard to no Kawhi Leonard. And that's not to say these guys are bad coaches by any means. But I think outside of Greg Popovich and Eric Spolstra in today's game, I don't know if, if the fingerprints of a head coach is as flashy as fans make it feel. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have a role, but – an example is Budenholzer for 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 one. Oh, this guy's holding the holding them back. They'll never win a championship because of Budenholzer. No, no, no. When you see a fifty burger from Giannis, and when you see Middleton step up, these players who are superstars and playing at a high rate can definitely overpower a coach in the NBA because, well, Kobe and Shaq can dominate. Dwayne Wade and Shaq or Dwayne Wade and you name it. LeBron, these guys can overpower a flaw from a head coach. Now, with that said, Doc Rivers being a top 15 coach, it tells you really about the coaching in the A more than anything else. There's just a lot of guys more so than great head coaches in this league. And uh, with like put that aside, and then with what a head coach can provide, because they do matter, it's just I don't think they matter as much as public perception believes they matter. If the if the players make up 80% of why you win a championship, I'll give the coach about 20, maybe 25%. So that 25% is very important. And within that 25%, I think Doc Rivers is very problematic with his rotations, and he's so damn stubborn with it. It's crazy. When he leaves due to COVID, yeah. you see staggering lineups with Dan Burke, and it's very successful, and then he comes 
comes back and starts throwing together all these all-bench lineups. And it would be different if it was just a regular season tactic analytically to get them in a better position in the postseason with rest and energy. But then he does it again in the postseason. So um, if it's ugly due to coaching, then... I think it's a conversation to have, but you're definitely bringing in James Harden and Joel Embiid to have that dialogue. And if it ends up being one of those where, look, you go up against the Milwaukee Bucks, both teams play their heart out, it comes down to game six or game seven, and you just tip your cap to the opponent, well, then it's a no-brainer you bring him back. But I'm curious on your thoughts on sort of my opening on the NBA head coach. So I think that you make some good points, and I do agree that when it comes to the players, particularly Joel and Harden, if it gets to that point, their input will be valued and it will be considered. I disagree with Chris going back to the Atlanta series. I don't put as much, I guess, responsibility on Doc Rivers. I don't think he coached that bad of a series. I think his hands were tied in that he had a point guard that was afraid to shoot where he, I think he only shot three times in seven fourth quarters. I mean, that's a problem to the point where he, I mean, yeah, we knew he was going to get hacked, but when you pass up a wide-open dunk on Trey Young and give it to Matisse Thibault because you're afraid to go to the line, that's why Doc was in such a position in the press conference. I, I can't answer that right now. And, and you know, he put him, he dug himself that hole because he defended Ben all season, saying that, oh, we don't, Ben doesn't need to shoot. Well, it came back to bite him because those bad habits affected the team in a critical time. But at the same time, I do think Doc did the best he could yeah, you could go to game one. Oh, he put Danny Green on Trey Young. Well, at halftime, he switched him, and he didn't do that for the rest of the series. So I don't put as much blame on Rivers for that series. I put it mostly on Ben. But I, I do think that if the Sixers don't meet expectations, like Chris was saying, they're going to consider it. And I, I can't wait to hear what Chris thinks about uh, who his replacement could be. But go um, ahead. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I don't think Doc Rivers is a bad coach. I, I agree with that. I mean, you have to give him his flowers. Like, this was the number one seed in the NBA last season. They've been within striking distance all season this year of the one seed, despite not having Ben Simmons. You know, their second-best player hasn't been on the team. They've still been winning games. So, clearly, it could be worse. Um, I will say, I, I mean, like, Doc, having Danny Green guard Trey Young for the first half of game one might have, like, cost them the series. I think Doc deserves what? more blame. Than I, I, I think that – Ben, oh, Sim- so I'll on, say Chris. this: Ben Simmons was the number one problem, but even with that problem, Doc Rivers did co- get out coached. But it's, I, I yeah. think it's very difficult to work around the point guard that won't shoot in the fourth quarter. So the number one issue is Ben. Doc is number two, and I didn't mind the idea of Danny Green, but what ended up happening was he st- after the first three minutes you switch it. So I understood the logic of trying it. The fact that he stayed with it as long as he did, though, that was a crazy, was a crazy. Yeah, I disagree. The first quarter, I mean, the first quarter, it should have been done. They lost game one. Yeah, and they lost game game five and game seven, both five and seven at home because of Ben Simmons. Yeah, Ben's number one. He he shot the worst free throw percentage in the history of the game. In the history of the NBA. I'm going to spit out my Gatorade. Ben Simmons Simmons was issue number one, but they could have won that series with Ben Simmons doing what he did. No, I disagree. I think Ben Simmons is why you lost the series, but Doc Rivers didn't have a good series either. Both can be true. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I, I don't think Doc is a bad coach. I don't think you just fire him for the sake of firing him. But obviously the name that has now been brought up and that people are going to speculate about is Mike D'Antoni, who, like, we That's can talk Chris's about Hard. Guy. Hard can talk about how much he loves Doc all he wants. But if Daryl goes to him and is like Doc or, da- or Mike, James played the best basketball of his career under Mike D'Antoni. Clearly Daryl is a big fan of Mike D'Antoni. I, I don't think there's any momentum towards that happening. Clearly there isn't right now, but – I was a guy who would have preferred for them to go with D'Antoni in the first place over Rivers. I was pretty vocal on that front. Um, I, I get, like, the concerns about D'Antoni and Big Men, but I don't think, like, Joel and Dwight Howard is a fair comparison. They're different. Dang, what Mike about Robert his, Covington? Yeah, Mike puts his <laughs> perimeter scores in a position to succeed like no one else does. Joel can bring the ball up the floor. He can create off the perimeter, work from the elbow, whatever. He does guard stuff as a seven footer, I have no doubt that you give Mike D'Antoni, James Harden and Joel Embiid and a bunch of capable shooters that he's going to make something good happen. So I I'd be quite interested myself in Mike D'Antoni. I think he's a great coach. I know he hasn't won a championship, 
but frankly, a lot of really great coaches still haven't won championships. That Houston team was truly, like statistically, at their peak, one of the best teams in NBA history. They just happened to be that while Golden State was maybe the best team in NBA history. Was he coaching when... Was he coaching when CP had that hamstring injury? Yeah, he was. They should have won that year. They should have so won that year. So Houston was literally one of the greatest offensive teams ever under Mike D'Antoni. So the whole, he hasn't won anything line really doesn't land for me because if, if it wasn't for Golden State being maybe the greatest team ever, Houston would have won one, two, three championships. Yeah, it's so time. hard to win so, that I hate that too. Yeah, I, yeah, I hate that, and and I also hate like, oh, you'll never win with X, Y, and Z. Well, guess what? You got a ninety eight percent chance of being right because it's so hard to win a title. Congratulations, minus yeah. seven thousand on those odds. You know what I mean? Like, congrats. <laughs> like, obviously, it's very hard to win. The D'Antoni thing, I'm willing for for any sort of, I'm not a fire the coach screen. Like I thought even the Brett Brown, I'm not telling you I love Brett Brown, but I'm just telling you that Ben Simmons at 20 years old and Embiid at 23, they're just not ready to win yet. That's more problematic yeah. than the head coach yeah. was back then. And and that's not to say Brett, like it was time for Brett when the season ended with the bubble and they got swept with Ben Simmons being hurt and all that. It made sense to move on, but there's other reasons why you don't win other than the head coach. With that said, Doc Rivers, his name, I think, pops more. And it's crazy to say this because he does have a lot of production. But I just think he's his name pops more than, I think, what you get out of Doc Rivers, the head coach. Is that crazy to say? Yeah, for sure. I agree. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, I mean, thought you were going to say that's crazy to say. You agree with me, though. <laughs> no, I 100% agree. I mean, I, I think the Budenholzer comparison that you made initially is a really interesting one because – his stubbornness is what held Milwaukee back those last few years. But I think last season, what changed is he made adjustments that he just was not making his first couple go arounds in Milwaukee. And that's what helped get the bucks over the top. Obviously Brooklyn, you know, everyone getting hurt did too, but like Budenholzer was finally willing to make adjustments and go small and try different things. And if doc can't do that, he's, building up quite the resume of like blown leads and big moments now i know he won in boston 15 years ago but his recent playoff track record with the clippers and with the sixers now it's pretty bad like it's objectively bad that's so, why he snaps at the media that's my belief is he's realizing the the talk and the noise surrounding him so when he gets questioned and when things like that happen oh would you ask popovich i think it's his his wall and his backs against the wall and that's almost like a <laughs> defensive mechanism cuz he's realizing that there's some noise surrounding who doc rivers is now yeah, and I mean, the two names that were in there with Doc when they were hiring a coach were D'Antoni, who they didn't go with, and um, Ty Lue, who I think is objectively a better coach than Doc Rivers. Ty Lue is a great coach. Because it never happened. Not in Philly. Because it never happened. He got stepped over by AI. That, that <laughs> image, it resonates, yeah. and the, it just will not work. I think Ty Lue's a good Ty coach, for sure. Ty Lue's great strength is that he is – someone who adjusts as well as any other coach. He makes changes on the fly. He tries everything. He throws stuff against the wall all season. He does different things. And that doc just gets so caught up in his ways that even with James Harden, like if we're running all bench units, I'm not entirely a thousand percent confident that changes with James. I, I hope it does, but like we're probably going to have some pretty long stretches coming up where James and Joel are both on the bench and people are going to get upset and he's going to get asked about it and he's going to brush it off. Like that's a real concern is like how do his rotations work with James? Are they any are we still gonna have like ten minutes a night where the team just doesn't make any sense on paper and they lose those minutes by twenty points and they lose games? Like I, I think that's a real concern. So um I, I don't think he's like on the hot seat, so to speak, but if they flame out in the first, second round again, if they lose because of Doc, you know, the Ben Simmons excuse is out the window now. So if they lose again, but James and Joel, I, I certainly think it could get hot. If they get swept by Brooklyn in the first round, Doc is gone. I'm sorry. <laughs> they'll, they'll bring back Brett Brown in that instance. But <laughs> I don't know how likely that'll be. All right, Chris, I think we're ready to roll out. man. All right, um, Broads, thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, if you want to plug your social media, 
obviously your your radio spot and stuff too. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I had a blast, man. We can definitely do this again for sure. And um, yeah, social media at Broads eighty one and Broads Media. You can find me on YouTube, Broads Media, and then on ninety seven five The Fanatic on weekends right now, and then filling in whenever I get an opportunity to throughout the week. So. Yeah, it's basically where you can find me. And uh, I had a blast, fellas. I really did. This is a lot of fun. Broads, you are awesome, man. I listen to you every weekend. And uh, you, you always have interesting takes. You know you know the city. You know Philly sports. You know the landscape. And, and we'll have you back on, man. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks for all the kind words. Yeah. No, I had a blast, too. We we, we need to get you back on with Lucas. Um, and, yeah, as always, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to yet another week's episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and follow along where you can. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, or you can listen at our website, thesixersense.com, where you can also read our written work. We are on Twitter at Sixersense. So until next week, everyone, have a good one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.